0: Welcome to
1: For the Love of Reiki with Paula Vale. Reiki has been proven to bring you balance and peace as well as improve your health. It's a healing method that works with other alternative methods as well as conventional medical practices to encourage and enhance personal healing on a number of levels. Now, to tell you more about Reiki and better health, here is Paula Vale.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Paula Vale here and... I'm so happy to have with me today, Dr. Lisa Taylor Swanson. We are going to be discussing today, Acupuncture, Effective Treatment of Pain and Chronic Disease. And Dr. Taylor Swanson is an East Asian medicine practitioner and has provided acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine for patients since 2001. She has expertise in women's health and infertility and has completed postgraduate training in those areas. Dr. Taylor Swanson is a clinician researcher and has completed a research PhD at the University of Washington. I want to say welcome so much, doctor. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So happy to have you with us today. And I would love to begin... With Will you just share a little bit of of your history and background? Sure, I'd be happy to. So
3: really, I always wanted to be a doctor, even from third grade. I wrote about how when I grew up, I wanted to be a, actually, no, third grade, I wanted to be a nurse because I had thought that nurses were nice and doctors were mean. But by (laughs) high school, um, I knew that nurses had to give a lot of shots and draw blood, and I have always been needle phobic. So I thought, oh, no, I'll go to med school. Also, being a young woman in the 1990s, back then there weren't as many women going into medicine. So for that reason, as a young feminist, I really wanted to be a doctor as well. Um, So I grew up in Salt Lake City. I finished a bachelor's degree in uh, psychology with a, a minor in women's studies. And I really fell in love with research. I was a research associate in a developmental psychology lab for three years I finished my, uh, my honors um, senior thesis there and really wasn't quite sure what to do. After I finished my bachelor's degree, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I loved research. Long story short, the um, theory that I was using in the lab uh, was one that really made sense to me or was useful when I started reading about traditional East Asian medicine. The theory of, of East Asian medicine made sense to me and so even though I'm needlephobic I moved to Seattle to study acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. So I finished my bachelor's degree in East Asian medicine in 2001 and have been needling patients ever since. It. Ironically enough um, I'm still very needlephobic but I'll talk more a little a bit later about the needles they don't hurt for that reason I can provide treatment. And year by year, as I've been treating patients, I've had so many research questions, and I kept pining away. I missed research deeply, and so for that reason, I returned to graduate school again and just finished my Ph.D. last year at the University of Washington in nursing science.
2: Oh, that is so exciting. Thank you. I think so, too. I feel
3: lucky to be able to really be... A clinician researcher in a field that I love, that of East Asian medicine. There's not so many of us who are dual trained in that way.
2: Yes. And I love that, the the dual training. And for those out there who are not familiar with acupuncture and East Asian medicine, explain that a little bit for us. Sure. Please. So acupuncture
3: itself is the practice of the insertion of small, thin, solid needles at specific points on the body. Uh, The theory is fascinating. We have textbooks that were originally written 2,000 years ago. And not only the fact that we can still read those textbooks, Chinese language has changed over the millennia for sure, but not so much that it's illegible uh, and comprehensible. Those books are still relevant today. So there's um, herbal formulas, acupuncture point location indications, in those books from thousands of years ago that I use every week with my patients. So it's a time-tested, mother-approved tradition that's a highly literate tradition. There's a mountain of literature talking about how to diagnose and treat patients for various concerns. And again, that literature is useful today. And so what we do when we're providing acupuncture is we'll ask patients, you know, what their concerns are, what their primary health concern is, why they've come to the clinic for care, But we also ask them about all of their health because it's a a holistic way of viewing uh, the body and disease. For example, if I have a woman who comes in with menstrual cramps, I'll treat her menstrual cramps differently if she's an insomniac or if she has anxiety or has uh, IBS, other concurrent concerns. The diagnosis varies by the whole person. So when we insert the needles, uh, again, they're solid, they're very, very fine, about the diameter of two human hairs, and they don't hurt happily. So it does not at all feel as if you're getting a blood draw at every place we put the needles. It would be too painful. Um, One thing I always mention to patients first visit, quite to their surprise typically, is that uh, when patients have had several sessions and, and feel comfortable Uh, with the acupuncture often when I come back to take the needles out they'll tell me oh my gosh I was snoring people (laughs) fall asleep with the needles in place so it's important to know that because so often we think oh needles it's gonna hurt no it does not hurt I will say that different clinicians needling techniques vary and sometimes you will feel a sensation of kind of a a zap or a a sensation locally at the needling site but it dissipates quickly or feel nothing just depends yeah
2: now lisa so when that needle is applied is it to connect and change the frequency of the energy or connect with a nerve what exactly is but is the purpose of that That's a great question. I always tell patients
3: there's two answers. One is biomedically. So in terms of Western science, we know a lot about what acupuncture does. We know um, in terms of the central nervous system, so the brain and the spinal column, there's all kinds of basic science uh, research that has shown, uh, for example, serotonin, uh, which is known by a lot of people in terms of depression. If they take an SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, That's blocking the brain from re-uptaking the serotonin. So more serotonin is floating in the brain and they feel less depressed. So likewise with acupuncture, when we insert the needles, researchers have looked at the brain and find that serotonin production is increased. So there's, again, more serotonin floating around in the brain and people feel relaxed. So with the peripheral nervous system, there's a lot of research that's shown um, basically that we're not stimulating the nerves. That would hurt. We stay away from major nerves when we're inserting the needles. But we're able to um, increase circulation in the area where we're needling and decrease inflammation. And typically, there's peripheral nervous system effects as well. Likewise, there's a lot of research looking at the fascia. So, for example, the fascia is a coating. It's a wrapping around the muscles. So I know it may seem a little gross, but if you think of when you're preparing chicken at home, there's the chicken meat and then that that coating, the, the covering around the muscle, that's fascia. So the fascia in our bodies surrounds the muscles and there's what are called fascia trains that go from the top of the body down to the bottom of the body. And interestingly enough, the researchers have shown that there's uh, chemical changes that happen in the fascia and the fascia trains tend to mirror where traditional acupuncture meridians are thought to have uh, where increased energy flows. So if you see a, a map or a chart with lines all over the body, those are the meridians that we work with.
2: Oh that is yeah. so amazing.
3: So that's the western answer the eastern oh, answer oh, in excellent. terms of key because you work
2: with key yes with yes,
3: ki. yes. So for example, if someone comes with frozen shoulder, we would talk about there's stuck chi and blood or key in that local area. And so what it would do is use acupuncture needles in the shoulder to move the key or the Chi to help keep it flowing. But likewise if you were to think of a, a dam that's plugged up with leaves or something or there's a dam in a stream, You'd want to open the dam, so those would be the needles locally. But you may want to work downstream to kind of encourage the key to the the chi to go that way. So, likewise with frozen shoulder, we might use needles in the hand or the wrist on meridians that traverse the shoulder, knowing it'll help to encourage that flow of chi. The other part about acupuncture is not only are we trying to move and encourage the flow, the smooth flow of chi, but we're also tonifying and strengthening. So there are points that we use that build, it's almost like a a vitamin idea, you know, kind of building and strengthening the body. So very often what we see in clinic is a mixture of, because we're all very complex people, we're often tired, but we're wired. So we want to move chi as well as build it. And we use acupuncture points accordingly.
2: Oh, I love that. I love that. And so... What about doing this? How does that work with the pain relief? Mm, Sure. So that's the number one reason people come in for care. They'll come in
3: and say, oh, gosh, Dr. Taylor Swanson, I'm having such a horrible headache, or my back pain, my neck pain, my shoulder pain, knee pain, ankle pain, foot pain, 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 pain. You name it. It could be from bursitis. It could be tendonitis. It could be neurologic uh, in origin. Basically, I would say 90% of the time, after four to six sessions, people are markedly better. They're to the point where they can say, oh, yeah, you know, my neck pain's not as bad. I have better range of motion. It, of course, depends on how long they've experienced it and how severe it's been over time. But typically, acupuncture is, is quite quite effective in decreasing uh, pain intensity as well as frequency. Um I would say what's really exciting is when people come in and after, again, four to six sessions, they'll say, wow, you know, Lisa, I think I'm sleeping better, my mood is better, my pain is decreased, and, you know, I didn't even talk about it, but my asthma's is better, or my pan- menstrual pain is better, or some yes. unrelated, seemingly unrelated thing. But again, because we're diagnosing the whole person and treating the
2: whole person, they'll experience that whole person change over time yes. as well. I know personally for me, I've had the honor of experiencing an acupuncture treatment with you several times. And I do. That night, I sleep so good. Mm-hmm. Most patients notice that.
3: Um, not only patients that are experiencing insomnia, but almost everyone will say, wow, the night after acupuncture, I sleep like a baby. Yes. And then if we're treating insomnia, then they do tend to have improvement over time as well. Yes. But its I think it's that serotonin effect where... After a massage, people say, oh, I'm so relaxed. Same thing after mis- acupuncture. They're mm-hmm. so relaxed. And again, that translates yes. to better sleep that night too. Yes.
2: And, and with Reiki, it's just so relaxing. Mm-hmm. It, it just all goes along the same line. And what excites me is you mentioned it decreases inflammation. And, mm-hmm. and that, is, that is really a key for us, isn't it, in our health? It is. And I think inflammatory processes
3: and inflammation in general is a real challenge, not only in terms of pain, but inflammatory bowel disease. We're finding uh, aspects of inflammation related to diabetes, to autoimmune disease, on and on. It's kind of the the buzzword of the day, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, right now in terms of popular culture and media. We're learning, oh my goodness, if we eat a bunch of sugar, we're going to have more pain or digestive upset mostly yes. because it's in, in enhancing that inflammatory response. Yeah.
2: yeah. Now, the East Asian medicine, is that strictly acupuncture, or is that kind of a whole, whole different toolbox? Oh,
3: that's a great question. So, um, and I'm very glad you asked, because typically people know about acupuncture happily here in Washington State. In the United States, it's covered. Yes. Um, yeah, knowing this is an international show, I want to be yes. broad and... I speak Um, happily here in Washington State. It's covered by uh, insurance, typically for 15 to 20 visits per year. But the key thing is to know that if you see a clinician who's providing acupuncture, and if they have a master's degree in East Asian or, or Oriental Medicine, or if they have a doctorate, there's different degree designations now, they have a lot of tools, and acupuncture is only one of them. So as I mentioned, those books that are thousands of years old Uh, were first written in China, and then as the tradition moved across Asia, there were clinicians in Japan and Korea and then elsewhere. So many people talk about traditional East Asian medicine as this umbrella term, or Oriental medicine. Uh, And within that, there's traditional Korean medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, Kampo herbal medicine from Japan, other traditions from Japan as well. So it's a very nuanced, very complex field. There's many, many different uh, heritages, you could say. Uh, Everyone within this field will provide acupuncture. They may insert the needles. They may only use contact needling. That's a a technique that we use as well. But they might also be trained in herbal medicine. So as I mentioned, there's Kampo herbal medicine from Japan. There's also traditional Chinese herbal medicine, of which I'm trained in and and board-certified. There's um, also cupping methods that we use where we apply suction cups to the body. I have to say one brief thing about cupping. That's interesting. Because, yeah, you may have seen, a lot of people have seen on on the web or whatnot nowadays, movie stars, after they have cupping on their back, and if they have a a dress or shirt, you can see the back uh, with these circles that are very red or very purple even sometimes. It could be sort of scary looking. Well, that's for dramatic effect. Usually that's not how my patients look after having cupping done. Typically I'll use cupping on the back for shoulder pain, upper thoracic pain, lumbar pain. It feels so good. And what's fascinating is I'll use cupping therapy for the lungs. And this is what's not commonly talked about in the media, what's not known about. It's something where I have to conduct a study one day and I have to get all of my pulmonology colleagues educated about cupping because it's very safe. It's very effective. I have a lot of patients with asthma, with COPD, with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, very deadly disease, with um, even just common colds when people have phlegm in the lungs. We mm-hmm. use cupping on the back. And invariably what people will find is their breathing is improved. They can breathe more deeply, not as shallowly. They'll uh, The wheezing will clear up. Um, also, these serious lung conditions that I mentioned, my patients, when they're stable, they're able to nebulize less often, to use their inhalers less often. And if they're sick, they're able to use a lesser dose. So it's really exciting, especially if they're using a steroidal inhaler. Steroids have so many adverse um, side effects and co- uh, consequences for the body. So it's that great to be all so these cupping.
2: so amazing. Yeah. So what does the cupping do? Does it just create a suction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just causes some release mm-hmm. that's the the million dollar question paula <laughs> it really is and to be
3: honest i don't know the answer mm-hmm. it's something i talk about with my patients all yes. the time because we don't have literature we don't have to my knowledge research about how putting the suction on the back on yes. the outside of the back causes any kinds of changes in the lung tissue that's so far deep you know of course into the yes. body
2: yes
3: what it makes me think about though our old-fashioned remedies were hundreds of years ago if people had a you know chest congestion or um, cystic fibrosis it's been used even very recently where you thump on the back this percussion and that's been used to clear phlegm out of the lungs so maybe the suction is like a static percussion perhaps and somehow gets that moving but I always say
2: uh, if it works you know just go with it yeah that is so intriguing I love this oh great information Lisa and Everyone, I'm afraid we have to pop out for a commercial, but we will be right back with some more fascinating information from Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTrn or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTrn. Are you ready to experience the wonderful healing benefits of Reiki? Paula Vale, host of For the Love of Reiki, one of the top shows on Voice America's health and wellness channel, has put together the Love of Reiki Practitioner Directory. It is a growing list of practitioners and teachers of Reiki and other healing modalities. Go to lovereikiradio.com to search for a practitioner or teacher in your area, as well as products and materials from around the world. Again, that's lovereikiradio.com. What causes us to be sick?
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: You're listening to For the Love of Reiki with Paula Vale. We would love to hear about your Reiki stories as well as your questions about Reiki. Paula will answer questions and share stories on the show. Please send an email to Paula at wellnessinspired.com. Again, that's Paula at wellnessinspired.com. Now, back to For the Love of Reiki.
2: Hello, everyone. Thank you, thank you. If you are just joining us, I am here today. We are talking about acupuncture and East Asian medicine, with Dr. Lisa Taylor Swanson. And we had so much fun in that last segment. And we we left for commercial talking about what's called cupping. And I just find this so intriguing. So, Lisa, please, let's dive right back into that. Sure. That was so fascinating. It
3: is really exciting because cupping, again, is safe. I've not had any adverse effects from it um, or any adverse events. That's a technical term used in research. Um, And it's very effective. And one other thing I wanted to mention briefly with those patients that I treat that have asthma, COPD, very serious lung concerns, I've um, done a little mini-study in my clinic where I use an oximeter. It's just a little measurement use on the finger that tests for blood oxygen saturation. Uh, In normal, healthy people without lung disease, it should be 99 98%. It means we have a lot of oxygen flowing in our blood and nourishing our tissues, However, when people's lungs are compromised, they may have oxygen saturations of 90, 85, 80. It's very serious then. Then they're taking oxygen supplementation. So what I've done is I've measured their blood oxygen saturation in the clinic when they first come in, and then I've provided cupping on the back. As we were talking about earlier, I'll put suction cups on the back to help with the lung diseases. And then after I take the cups off, usually 10, 15 minutes I'll measure their blood oxygen saturation again, and it's always increased anywhere from 1% to 4%, which is stunning. Wow. Stunning, given that we're not using any kind of steroidal medication. It's just suction cups on the back.
2: Very yes. Tech. Oh, my yeah. God. The used yeah. for millennia. Simple but powerful. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So what is that? Um, what does that do for the – what does that mean with the – with the blood what does that say oh so
3: what that says is that basically the lungs are working better and so the oxygen transfer where they're taking up oxygen from the air and releasing carbon dioxide from the body that the lungs are working more effectively and more efficiently like they need to be and then their blood oxygen saturation is increasing uh, reflecting that better um,
2: lung performance basically that is so fantastic I love it I love it well let's Let's talk a little bit about i I know that acupuncture is really fantastic for chronic disease. Mm-hmm. Please share a, a little bit about that with us,
3: please. I'd be happy to. So, as I mentioned briefly in the first segment, usually people come in and say, "Oh gosh, Dr. Taylor Swanson, I have pain of this kind or that kind, and we'll treat that. And I'll let them know over time as I'm asking about their various symptoms, trying to formulate my diagnosis and refine it over time, I'll ask them, well, what about your digestion? How's your blood pressure? How's your, um, all the blood work from their primary care providers? And what I tend to find with patients once we start talking is, oh, my goodness, not only do they have pain, but they often have chronic diseases of various types. Not knowing that acupuncture or East Asian medicine can be effective, it's often not what drives patients into care But I would really recommend for your listeners that if they're at all interested in receiving acupuncture care or cupping therapy or all the tools of East Asian medicine, that they consider doing so for chronic disease. What I've seen in clinic, for example, is that a lot of people come in, my specialty excuse me, is within women's health. So very often I'll have midlife women coming in, they're working full time, they're raising kids, their parents are aging, they're stressed out they're tired, they're gaining weight, maybe they're experiencing metabolic syndrome, maybe they've developed with uh, and having experienced diabetes itself. There's often stress that's impacting their gut. They may have a diagnosis of IBS. Or perhaps there's a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome. Maybe they have pain in general with a diagnosis of IBS. Not that that diagnosis is helpful. There's no real treatments biomedically so mostly what I tend to see in clinic are people like everyday people where they are working really hard, feeling stressed out, and having one or more health concerns. What's really exciting is that I can work in tandem, in conjunction with their primary care providers. I never, ever say, oh, stop taking your you know <laughs> insulin or something. They must continue their care with their primary care providers, but I can work concurrently alongside their care to help them sometimes reduce their dose, say, of insulin for diabetes. Or if they're experiencing depression, we can work to support that serotonin level, like we talked about in the first segment. And then with the recommendation of their prescribing physician or nurse practitioner, perhaps taper the dose of their SSRI or whatever depression medication they're taking in conjunction with the acupuncture. Um, So
2: I find the two can work very well seamlessly and very safely. That is fantastic, especially for diabetes because, yeah. there, you know, there is so much diabetes out there. And mm-hmm. if that can even lower their medications and, you know, assist with, with balancing that blood sugar level, that's oh, really it's, exciting.
3: It's really exciting. And, and I tend to, so here in Tacoma, Washington, where I practice, I tend to have a very good network of referring clinicians that I work with very closely so say, for example, if a person comes into clinic and uh, they've been diagnosed recently with diabetes, they're starting to take either metformin or insulin or both, um, I'll refer them to a nutritionist if they're not seeing one already to really get a solid, doable nutrition plan in mind that's that's very uh, tailored to their presentation. Um, I'll work with them also in terms of Chinese medicine recommendations for nutrition if they're not engaging in exercise, we'll work through, well, what are the barriers? Is it time? Again, most people are working all the time and stressed right, out. Right. But we must take care of ourselves. If we don't, yes. no one else will, so we yes. might as well. And so to find what's that way to work in 10 minutes twice a day of, you know, going up and down the stairs at work or walking around the, the parking lot or something, It's it's got to be strategic and focused. Yes. But exercise is key. Or I might refer them to colleagues who are uh, fitness trainers, that kind of thing. Um, but I find that having that continuum of care, so many people are lacking that because not only are the patients stressed out, but the clinicians are too. Mm-hmm. Often they'll go to their primary care, they have six minutes to talk about whatever oh, they're... Exactly. You know, it's yes. just, it's abysmal. And the clinicians yes. don't like delivering that kind of rotten care, but they're yes. stuck in systems where they have to do that. Yes. So they can often work with uh, myself or my colleagues and then other healthcare care providers to really have that. I always use the image of a basket. We all need to be held. And to have that basket, that holding by clinicians who care, who listen, who show up, and who work together, I think is really key. And in that way, I find that patients are empowered to really manage their chronic disease with the advice and the input and the knowledge
2: of all of their clinicians. Yes. And, you know, I really believe that empowerment is huge because, Mm -hmm. you know, we have all these wonderful people out there, doctors, practitioners, that we can go to and learn from. But really, we are the one in charge of our health. We are the number one. It's our choices. That's so true.
3: And literally, it's a great um, opportunity. I always talk with patients, my practice name is Abundant Health, and I believe in Abundant Health, even in the midst of disease. Someone may have, I have plenty of patients who have a cancer diagnosis. It's very frightening, and it's It's certainly very serious at times. And there's also the possibility of concurrent wellness, of being in the moment of, oh, I have this beautiful family or this job that I care about or this community I'm woven into, whatever it may be that people find deep meaning with, that they can be connected to and find wellness, even in the midst of whatever disease or whatever diagnosis. It's that moment-to-moment living that we live, where we can make those choices of, oh, you know, I am not going to eat that peanut butter chocolate thing even though I want to. I'm going to choose what I know is really going to nourish my body or I'm going to go make that time for myself to take that walk because I know it's going to really help me take better care of myself and everyone that
2: I love. Yes, yes. And there are more examples coming out there every day where those choices and that path has conquered disease oh yes yes
3: yeah it's so true yes.
2: it's so true i i bet you see some great things
3: i do and you know it's work. exciting when people come back and say oh yeah you know my main concern of whatever it was low back pain that got better and then my sleep got better and then of course if you're sleeping better well you know my mood got better <laughs> and then when my mood got better my outlook got better And I decided to quit that lame job I've had for 20 years, and I couldn't stand it. I feel patients often express they feel well enough to make those choices of moving forward in their lives because they're not as um, burdened, really, by whatever the symptoms were. Yes. But it becomes a journey. I I often talk with patients. It's no fun, of course. None of us want to have any diagnosis or symptoms or whatever. But it's an opportunity to really, um, really tap into whatever we can learn in the situation. You know, there's always that saying of, well, the silver lining in, in the, the cloud. And, yes, the cloud of, oh, gosh, I don't want to have diabetes or cancer diagnosis or low back pain or menstrual pain or PMS or, you know, there's a long litany right. we can describe. But in that moment, we can make these choices, like we're talking about, Paula, to, to choose health, to choose wellness, even in the midst of, of diagnoses or symptoms. Yes. Because yes. sometimes we can't get rid of them. Of course, we're all yes. trying, as clinicians, as individuals. We want to get rid of back pain. We want to get rid of tendinitis. and those things usually that's that's no problem. But the bigger fish, yes, you know, the bigger, very serious diagnoses. Maybe there is no cure. Maybe there is. Mm-hmm. But how do we find joy? How do we find yes. comfort? How do we create peace for ourselves and and those that we. Uh, live with that we uh, are in community with each moment each day each week each year
2: i i love that i love that lisa and it's true anything that comes to us that any challenges or anything in our life really it is an opportunity it's an opportunity for us to make choices truly Yeah. yeah
3: yeah i think that's so true and again it's tough for most primary care providers, whether medical doctors, nurse practitioners in Washington State, some naturopaths or primary care, they have so few opportunities to really have this kind of conversation like you and I are having with patients. So I I really encourage your listeners if they can find clinicians who will take the time and have training so they can provide proper advice. It may be an acupuncturist, but it might not be. It might be a naturopathic physician It might be a Reiki practitioner, it might be a massage therapist, and it might be a primary care provider if they're really, really lucky. Yes, Yes.
2: (laughs) But to really engage more deeply in the journey. Yes, yes. And, Doctor, would you mind sharing, this might be a good time, to please share uh, briefly with the listeners, anyone in our area that may, you know, wish to come see you, your information and contact information? Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. So again, my name is Dr. Lisa Taylor Swanson,
3: and I practice at Abundant Health in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, there's two easy resources. One is my web- website, lisataylorswanson.com, and the second is my clinic's website, which is abundanthealthacupuncture.net. If uh, people like to be a little more old school and use the phone, I love having yes. phone conversations. Yes. Not that I could do that with the listeners, but they're welcome to call the clinic if they want to schedule that number is 253-383-8005. On both my websites, I have quite a bit of writing about uh, the research I've conducted, my thoughts about research, and then uh, you know general information about East Asian medicine
2: as well. Awesome. And before we go into our next break, any recommendation for listeners who are looking to find someone, a practitioner or a doctor in this area? Absolutely. Um, so...
3: Nowadays, any clinician that they would go to see will have at least a master's degree in East Asian medicine. There's different degree designations used by different schools, so it might be an MS or an MA. My degree is an MACOM, Master's in Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. Um, And then there are some schools now that offer a doctorate in East Asian medicine, so that may be a DAOM, Doctor in Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine or a D.O.M. Doctor of yeah. Oriental Medicine. So there's yeah. various degrees, uh, de- de- degree names, but basically they, they must have a master's or a doctorate degree in East Asian Medicine. They'll be uh, board certified by the NCCAOM. That's our national board certifying uh, organization. We all take a really big test and pass it uh, with yes. that organization. And then that test information is given to each state acupuncturists or East Asian medicine providers are licensed in, I believe, 45 out of 50 states. There's still a few states in the U.S. that are not um, licensing acupuncturists. Everybody else, we're just like nurses and doctors and all the rest. Mm -hmm. We go through the state departments of health for for licensure. So all that information should be made available either on the clinician's website or when you talk to the clinician. Um, For listeners in other countries... The, the degree will vary for sure but mostly what i see in europe in latin america in asia will also be a master's degree equivalency as well
2: excellent excellent thank you so much thank you my well pleasure. everyone we are going to pop out for a commercial and we will be right back thank you lisa you're welcome my pleasure
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Hi, I'm Kristen Eichel. Join Paula Vale, host of For the Love of Reiki and I, along with millions of other Reiki and energy healers worldwide, as we create the World Reiki Circle for Wildlife
1: Are you ready for a real, fact-based show about alternative and natural approaches to health? Listen for Live Healthy, Be Healthy with Drs. Jim and Janine Fox. We're not about the latest health fads. We're about proven methods from real patients and real situations. Each week's show is an eye-opening look behind the scenes of real health. Live Healthy, Be Healthy can be heard live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to For the Love of Reiki with Paula Vale. We would love to hear about your Reiki stories as well as your questions about Reiki. Paula will answer questions and share stories on the show. Please send an email to Paula at wellnessinspired.com. Again, that's Paula at wellnessinspired.com. Now, back to For the Love of Reiki.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And we are having so much fun today talking about acupuncture and all of the benefits and Lisa, I just, I just love everything we're hearing and this great information. It's, this, it's such a positive thing for people to know that they have this outlet, this extra tool they can use in their lives. And I would love to chat a, a bit more about the benefits for, with chronic health and maybe even go into with women's health. Because that that's such a benefit to us women.
3: Absolutely. You know, as you were speaking just now, Paula, I was reminiscing about some of the young girls. I want to start with girls and then talk okay. about adult women. Um, because as a mom, I, knowing what I know as a clinician, take my kids for acupressure. Depending upon the age of the girl or the boy, we'll only use acupressure on points. We don't use needles until maybe age 10 or so. As a clinician, one of my most exciting and happy experiences has been working with young girls in middle school and high school with horrible menstrual periods. Having experienced that as as a young teen myself, and unfortunately I didn't know anything about Chinese medicine back then or East Asian medicine, neither did my family, never had heard of it, never would have imagined going for acupuncture care. But the young girls that I've been able to treat, it's so rewarding because they'll come back Well, one, to say they come back. The treatment doesn't hurt. Again, patients fall asleep on the table with the needles in place. (laughs) Those young girls, they're often going to gymnastics and dancing and swimming and soccer. They're A students. They're doing 10,000 things all over the board. They're overscheduled and stressed out often, much like adults are. Not everybody, but many. So the fact that they'll take the time just to try this. Often I've treated their mom or their dad, and they'll say, oh, gosh, my daughter has these horrible periods. And so I walk them through this information that I'm sharing now, and they bring their kids in. So when I treat them, after usually three, four sessions, they'll typically come back and say, Oh, my gosh, I was able to go to school. I didn't miss any school because of my painful periods. And as a mom and as a clinician, I practically want to weep because I know how much that means to the yes. young girl. Very often when girls start their periods, it's as if their body's been hijacked. They don't know what's happening to them, mm-hmm. even if they kind of know nowadays there's more information, thankfully, from families and education and whatnot. But if it's painful, it's just scary, disturbing and scary. Yes. So I would say that's one of my favorite conditions <sighs> and populations to treat because it's so exciting. They'll come back and just come for continual care, maybe once a month to keep their menstrual periods so they're comfortable to get a little nap, which is always beneficial. Um, and then if there's anything going on as well, you know, there might be anxiety about tests or all the social things that, that are challenging for middle schoolers and high schoolers. There's a lot of pressure on our kids these days, and, and it's a yes. nice thing to talk about because it's surprising. Who would ever think to take their kids for acupuncture? Yes. But it's really helpful. Um, I was also reminiscing about a young girl I treated with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis had, she had horrible pain in her knees and sometimes in her hips. She was on all kinds of medications, methotrexate, you name it. Um, and definitely acupuncture is not a cure-all. It, it didn't cure her JRA, but it was so helpful. She was able to sleep better. And much like I was speaking about in one of the earlier segments, for any of us, regardless if we're a teenager or an adult or child, if we're having decreased pain, then we're able to sleep better that our mood is better during the day, our concentration is better as well, our outlook improves, we just feel better. So it's been yes. another exciting condition to treat that, again, oh. most people wouldn't think, oh, if I have my child has a diagnosis of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis to go for acupuncture, but definitely yes. I would recommend that people look into it. And then for all kinds of chronic diseases that adult women face, um, I, again, I think so many women are stretched, the max. You know, most midlife um, and elder women that I treat, they're working, raising kids, taking care of aging parents. There's a term in the literature called the sandwich generation. And really, women uh do feel sandwiched. They're squished between their kids and their parents. And uh, their own career, many of us um, are able to have our own professional careers nowadays and want to raise children want to be a mom and want to do all these things. But boy, at the end of the day, it can really take a taxation on one's health. Um, And so there very often will be women that I'll treat in this sandwich generation um, and experiencing irritable bowel syndrome, experiencing metabolic syndrome, experiencing um, chronic fatigue syndrome, you name it. And also in the Northwest, what I see a lot of is, is MS. Uh, multiple sclerosis with the high incidence. We're one of the highest incidences in the country, Alaska as well. I do treat a lot of women with MS.
2: I did not know that. Mm -hmm.
3: There are no conclusive answers why MS is so high Mm -hmm. in the Northwest and Alaska, but it's probably Mm -hmm. something to do with the uh, minimal light in the wintertime, vitamin D production, immune
2: function, something along those lines. And it's so true what you said. So many women we wear so many hats, mm-hmm. you know. It's the mother, the caregiver, the employee, or the business owner, or the you know. We mm-hmm. do. We wear so many hats. Now, oh, yeah. how would this would this help a woman with just struggling with menopause?
3: Absolutely. Well, that was what my dissertation was about. Actually, oh, so awesome! It's fun to get to talk about that. Um, there's a few things. One, I, as a part of my dissertation work as well, and my doctoral studies, worked with some colleagues and mentors on a systematic review of literature spanning not only East Asian medicine, but we also looked at soy isoflavones, mind body therapies like yoga and exercise, uh, black cohosh, and other herbal remedies. We read hundreds of papers, synthesized them. And what we found over the whole is that all of these interventions are very safe. They tend to be moderately effective. They're definitely not as effective, not as strongly effective as hormone replacement therapy or hormone therapy, but there's no risks that are associated, which are, of course, very of great concern uh, with hormone therapy. So they're very safe. In terms of acupuncture in East Asian medicine, um, what I tend to see is that most women come back. And I tailor the treatment according to their presentation. So sometimes I'll use only acupuncture, sometimes acupuncture and herbs, depending. And also depending, of course, on their interests. They may or may not want to take my yucky tea. But what I find when they come back, usually after a couple months of treatment, is that their hot flashes are decreased. It's tough if they're having, you know, just intense hot flashes day and night with night sweats, it's very unlikely in two months we're going to get rid of all of that. It's just unlikely. But typically what we see is 50% reduction, 75% reduction in, uh, in symptoms. And then women are better able to cope. Yes. Really. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Overall coping just because makes the more relax. Relax. they're more relaxed or sleeping better. Yeah.
3: And I think another key message for anyone in your audience who is either going through the menopausal transition or knows someone who is, So this applies to every listener (laughs) because somebody either knows someone or is going through It's that hot flashes and night sweats are definitely very common to be experienced the last two years before the last period as well as for sometimes many years afterwards. But hot flashes and night sweats aren't the only common symptoms. Uh, It's very common to have uh, cognitive concerns, either difficulty remembering words or coming up with words. Um, pain of various locations also very commonly experienced during the transition. Mood concerns, so they may feel like they're grouchy or moody. They might feel weepy. They might feel depressed. It it kind of feels like PMS, but it just doesn't go away. Sometimes mm-hmm. is what my patients will describe. And then sleep disorders for sure. Of course, if they're waking up with night sweats, it can wake the women up, and then it's hard to go back to sleep. But there's that whole symptom cluster is the term that's used in the literature. So it's not only about hot flashes, and again, happily, that symptom cluster, we tend to really see all of it
2: shift with treatment, with acupuncture and herbal yes. medicine. Yes. Well, it, it seems to me that these treatments really just are an overall increase in our body balance and our health for, mm-hmm. you know, anything that may be going on.
3: Absolutely. And there's also incidences where we have the Western information to be able to say, aha, there's actually genetic changes. The one case I can definitely point to is times when I'm treating men with sperm issues. So one of my areas of expertise is infertility, and I treat both men and women. And I treat men with either um, sperm count deficiency, so they have a low sperm count, There might be a morphology issue, so the sperm either have two heads or two tails or no tail. They're just wrong, basically. Or there could be a motility issue. They're not swimming far and fast enough. And what's really fun and exciting is we'll provide acupuncture and always herbal medicine. Sorry, guys, you have to take the herbs. (laughs) Acupuncture isn't enough for three months. It takes three months for the sperm that's used today Uh, excuse me, three months ago is when we would have started producing that sperm. So it takes three months for the sperm to be produced. So three months of care, I'll have men go back and have a secondary or a second semen analysis. And very often, I will not say with every case, because I've had a few cases where we really just didn't see much change, but that's a handful in over a decade. Men will come back and say, oh, my gosh, look at this. The motility has improved. The morphology has changed. (sighs) So if men's sperm are being produced three months later correctly and more of them are being produced, there's definitely got to be a genetic change. There's got to yes. be a way. Their body now knows to make proper sperm or the oh. proper amount. It's so exciting. That is
2: so fantastic. That is... Isn't that fascinating? I love it. I yeah, love it. I think. What? Oh. And I personally know of people who have, you know had to go to someone and pay thousands of dollars. Oh my gosh, yeah.
3: And look what There's what all the acupuncture, these natural options. And, and very often, very briefly, we'll need to use acupuncture and East Asian medicine concurrently with couples going through either IVF or IUI. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if they want to conceive their own child, it has to be with those really high-tech interventions. Yes. But very happily, very often we have patients that didn't have to go through IVF. They were able to only use IUI or intrauterine insemination. Saving them tens of thousands of dollars and saving the women all those hormones. Oh,
2: fantastic! Oh, I love that, Lisa. Topic for another show. Yes, I love it. That could help so many. Yeah. Um, We are down to just a few more minutes of the show. Any last words or inspiration you'd like to share to our listeners, or what they could do, what they could start doing now?
3: Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that question. You know, I think that self compassion is the the, sh- the word I'd like to share, because so often, again, whether our children, our adults, modern life, most people are stressed and they're anxious, feeling overworked or overburdened. And to really just take a moment to pause and just to be compassionate for ourselves. Look at all that we're able to yes. do, whether it's, you know, holding down jobs, going to school, being involved in our communities, our churches, what have you. And to really acknowledge that, and have that place of of self care and self compassion, and to not only uh, in quiet moments try to be self compassionate, but while you're in the busy in a busy business meeting, try to hold that self compassion, because it can be easy to um, overtax or overstretch ourselves and and ask too much of ourselves, and just say no, I'm going to take a moment and take a deep breath, and just be very grateful for who I am and what I am and and what I bring to this world. And that that gratitude. Yes.
2: And that can change our lives. I just Mm -hmm. love that. I love that. Because it all starts inside, doesn't it? It always does. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: We're such a cognitive society, and I can love to be in that space as well as a researcher. That's super fun. But to be in our bodies and to just be in that place of, of... inward reflection and and feeling and
2: and just simply being. Oh is a gift. I love that. I love that. Like say, you just Mm. you do so much for so many. Oh well thank you.
3: It's it's an honor. I again since I was a child always wanted to be a healthcare provider. And how many of us get to grow up what we always dreamt of doing. I feel blessed. It's uh, (sighs) it's fun And, and I I'll say one thing that clinic to me is sacred. People come in and share, like we've been sharing during this conversation. They'll often tell me, you know, Lisa, I never told my husband this before, my wife or my family, something. It's sacred what people bring to the clinic. They bring their true whole selves. And then
2: research is fun. Oh. So I get to do sacred and and fun things every week. I can imagine how <laughs> fun lucky. the research is. I I know personally, I, I lo- I'm always reading something and research. I love learning new facts. I mm-hmm. mean, we never want to close that door No. Yeah. To, to what else we can learn and, and take into our life. Lifelong learning, that's mm-hmm. the key. It really is fantastic. It really is fantastic. Well, everyone, I'm afraid we have to close. This was so beautiful. Lisa, I am just so grateful for everything you've shared.
3: Oh, it's truly my pleasure. And thanks for the opportunity to come on and speak with your listeners oh, and with you. It's been thank super you. fun. Thank you. You're
2: so welcome. And to all of our listeners out there in the U.S. and around the world, love, hugs, and blessings to everyone. I will chat with you again next week. And Lisa, love, hugs, and blessings to you as well. Thank you. And to you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.